All gun control is racist. It's a power grab. African Americans get very different treatment vis-a-vis the police. Not just in a sense, it, it is a double standard. If you see me with well, my gun, it's too late. Welcome back to In Sickness and In Health, a podcast about health and social justice. I'm Dr. Celine Gounder. This season, we're looking at gun violence in America. You probably heard about the Time Magazine cover on guns in America. It got a lot of attention when it came out in October. The cover is in black and white, filled with people from all over the political spectrum on guns in America. Today, we'll talk to two African-Americans featured on that cover to get their takes on guns. If you look to the far top left of the magazine cover, you'll see the face of an African-American man with a beard wearing a baseball cap. He's holding his chin in thought. This is Justin McFarlane. Sure, my name is Justin McFarlane. I'm a U.S. Army veteran and a management consultant. I am a fairly, I guess, avid gun owner um, and a black man, um, which is uh, a little bit uncommon uh, to see at the same time. Uh, but because of this, uh, I'm very passionate about uh, gun violence prevention and, and gun safety. Justin is a member of the gun safety group Every Town USA. He's a founding member of its Veterans Advisory Council. That led to a, uh, a little picture of me in, uh, in Time magazine. It, they had a, a special issue that I was a part of where I just talked a little bit about you know, why the issue was important to me and, and why I'm a part of it. What motivated you to get involved with them? The Black Lives Matter you know, movement, so to speak. I think after every you know, mass shooting, there's, there's a big conversation about, especially about um, assault rifles or AR-15s, um, but there's not a lot of conversations, you know, about the shootings that occur every day in, in places like Chicago or Detroit or New York or, you know, other, other cities. If black lives do matter, if that's, you know, what we're, what we're saying, then I think we have to look at, you know, all the places that, uh, where we're dying at, at disproportional rates. Justin is a father. He trains his son on gun safety with a BB gun. But he was shocked when he started looking into statistics about gun violence in African Americans. The statistics are, are just staggering. Firearms are the number one cause of death for, for black children and teens. Wouldn't have crossed my mind. I would have, you know, thought of maybe childhood diabetes or accident, car accidents or, or anything else. Firearms are the second leading cause of death for American children, but the first leading cause of death for, for black children, uh, who are 15 times more likely than, than white children to die by a gun homicide. Black men in particular are 16 times more likely to die than, than white men. If African-American males are more likely to die by a homicide, then they should definitely be armed to defend their life which is their human right. This is Maj Touré. If you look back at that Time magazine cover, he's standing center right. He's wearing a black t-shirt that says, Black Guns Matter. I'm the founder um, of Black Guns Matter. We're a firearms safety, conflict resolution, de-escalation and education organization. 
Um, we do work primarily in urban America, informing people about their human rights to self-defense via the Second Amendment, and um, just how to be well-rounded, good, strong, independent-thinking citizens. Maj founded Black Guns Matter as a response to police shootings of people of color. Yeah, you know, everybody around voting time, especially nationally, everybody's saying, oh, you know, we got to do voter registration every couple of years, voter registration, voter registration. And, you know, so many homicides were happening at that time from, you know, at the time it was a lot of law enforcement killing unarmed, you know, American citizens. It was like, well, damn, we need to have, like, a license to carry drive. Ha, 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 it's a joke, but it's not a joke. And then so we did it. Black Guns Matter runs workshops to encourage people to know their Second Amendment rights. Maj hopes that if more African Americans know the law, they'll be able to defend themselves and avoid escalating a conflict with a police officer. Maj and Justin are on opposite sides of the Time magazine cover. They don't necessarily have opposing views on everything, but they do have their differences. Both men support legal gun ownership, and both agree that gun regulation has a very uneven history in the United States and that guns were an important part of the civil rights movement. Here's Justin again. We have to exercise our rights, and I think that we have to exercise all of our rights. Our forefathers are, are you know, historical figures who you know, had to own guns for their safety, and they put themselves through that so that we can have the right and, and utilize the right um, to vote the right for free speech you know, and the right to own a gun. And I, I do believe that, uh, that I think more people within the African-American community should exercise that right. But Justin supports gun safety legislation. He's a proponent of universal background checks, for example. Maj, not so much. All gun control is racist. Quote me. That's the pull quote. All gun control is racist. That's the reason for the right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? There were times where Klansmen was coming and there were armed black men in the middle of Jim Crow showing up and shot, you know, with shotguns to protect their community. This is the stuff we've been talking about over the last several episodes. Efforts by whites to limit access to guns for slaves, freedmen, and all the way up to the Black Panthers and today. So hell yeah is racist. Hell yeah, all of it. You know, so people of color in America, for absolute certain, should be the very last people asking for more gun control. The news over the last several years has been full of events that harken back to the white supremacist terrorism of the civil rights era. The mass shooting in a Charleston, South Carolina church by white supremacist Dylan Roof. Uh, this is not the first time that black churches have been attacked. And we know that hatred across races and faiths pose a particular threat to our democracy and our ideals. Large marches by white nationalists in Charlottesville and Portland. And the failure of President Donald Trump to denounce white supremacist violence. But you also had people that were very fine people on both sides. It all contributes to a sense of insecurity. So more African-Americans are deciding they need to own a gun for their protection. 
be lying to you if I said the political arena has not affected our membership. This is Philip Smith, the president of the National African American Gun Association, talking to the PBS NewsHour in March of last year. People look at what's going on politically and they see some of the comments that are made by certain folks in high places, and it makes them a little unnerving. And that has definitely been a part of our growth. Since President Trump took office in 2017, the number of National African American Gun Association chapters has grown from 14 to more than 50. Take note that the National African American Gun Association is not connected with the NRA. Maj has been a longtime member of the NRA and says he feels welcome. I'm a rock star at the NRA conventions. I'm an anomaly, you know what I'm saying? So I'm a rock star to them because I can go in places that they can't or they're scared to go, to be quite honest. You know, so I, it's been all love from the inside the gun community. That said, since I first spoke with him last spring, Maj announced that he wouldn't be renewing his NRA membership. He thinks gun rights advocacy needs to be decentralized, down to the state and local level. And he's been frustrated by the NRA's silence on black and urban community issues. Maj isn't the only one saying the NRA is out of touch with African Americans. The organization's close ties to law enforcement, something that long predates Donald Trump, has also left other African Americans feeling unwelcome, or at least not represented by the group. This tension was especially evident when Minnesota police officer Geronimo Yanez shot and killed Philando Castile in 2016. Uh, reason I put George, you, your brake lights are out, so you all have one activated, active brake light. Justin McFarlane again. One of the shootings that touched home the most for me was Philando Castile, who you know, was carrying legally um, and discussed that with the, the police officer prior to his shooting and his death. Sir, I have to tell you, I do have a okay. firearm okay. on me. Don't reach for it, then. Don't pull it out. Don't pull it out. And after that shooting, it really made me think, because I think a lot of times I'll, I'll look at a situation and, and I'll say, oh, well, in that situation, I could have done X or I could have done Y differently, and it would have ended differently. But that was one of the few ones, and the first one for me, where I couldn't find anything different that I would do. And that scared me. And, and there's really nothing that I, that I could do um, to have saved myself. I think even when you look at the response uh, to the Philando Castillo shooting, uh, you know, if that had been, you know, someone not of color, you know, the NRA would have been stomping their feet and causing a massive uproar. But that wasn't the case. And that wasn't the case because Flano Castile was a black man. So Justin made a decision. So I actually haven't carried since then. It's a tough, tough situation to be put in where you don't know if you're going to get shot by a bad guy or a good guy um, by having a, a, a firearm. So I, I just kind of took myself out of it and, and decided, you know, if, if the situation ever arises where I would need a firearm to defend myself, then I think, uh, 
you know, I'd be I'd be out of luck. Um, but the the risk is just too high these days as a as a black man. In 2017, Geronimo Yanez was acquitted of all charges related to the killing of Philando Castile, but he was let go from the police force. I asked Maj for his take on the Castile case. What could uh, Philando Castile have done to prevent being shot the way he was? You know, was there anything he could have done? Please don't edit this part out. If you edit this part out, it'll make me look really silly. And it'll make me look like I'm saying that Mr. Castile deserved to die because he did not. That officer, Mr. Yanez, his bitch ass should be locked under the jail. That's number one. Number two, Mr. Yanez was fired. So if if they don't even fire most of them. So if he got fired but didn't get, you know, convicted, clearly he did something improper for him to be fired. With this being the case, the one thing, if I could have jumped into Mr. Castile's body, pause for a second. I would have jumped into his body and gave him the knowledge that Minnesota is not a duty to notify state. He had no lawful obligation to tell that officer that he was licensed to carry. That is the most clear-cut example of knowing what the laws and your responsibilities or non-responsibilities are in your locality. So in my, uh, I got to say belief, because unfortunately he's dead now. In my belief, if he would have known that, he wouldn't have said that, and that officer wouldn't have been the coward bitch ass that he was, and he would still be alive for his family and loved ones. Speaking for myself, I'm not sure what would have saved Philando Castile's life not declaring to Yanez that he was licensed to carry, or just not carrying a gun. And this gets to a big issue for people of color who want to exercise their Second Amendment rights, how to interact with the police and public while armed. Maj is an evangelist for concealed carry, but he says being Black in America informs how he carries a gun, especially when it comes to open carry versus concealed carry. I deal with people that are biased. I mean, like they, they bias in a certain way. They, they'll see me with a firearm and they, depending on how I'm dressed that day, they might think, oh, this, this guy's, he might be in here to rob the grocery store. You know what I'm saying? They're biased based on the misinformation. So for me, I'm, I'm very rarely seen with a firearm um, because that's my position on the chessboard. I know how the media likes to make the black dude with the gun look scary. There's a, a difference in terms of how um, gun carriers think about the police um, along the lines of race. This is Jennifer Carlson. She's a sociologist at the University of Arizona who studies guns. She says she saw this dynamic when it came to dealing with police. You still see this very different racialized relationship to police. White open carriers, they would um, say things like, you know, I want to be the next test case to, you know, change the law and, and that sort of thing. So really it was seen as like, you know, I'm going to go into this police interaction. It's going to be, you know, it's going to be in, there's going to be tension, but I'm going to walk away from it alive and I may end up changing law too. Whereas African-Americans, you know, who openly carried or thought about openly carrying and said, no, I'm not going to openly carry, um, were much more cognizant of like, this, this is a, this is a life or death, um, you know, interaction that I'm actually entering into. 
um, you know, I don't want to make one wrong move, and you know, it, it won't be that I'm a te- I'm a test case. It'll be that I'm you know I'm going to get killed. As a violence de-escalation educator, Maj is frustrated by the double standard applied to police versus the public when it comes to who has the right to use lethal force when they believe their life is in imminent danger. Law enforcement officers are not being held to that same standard. I, the fuck you mean you feared for your life? You were you scared of black people? Then you got an implicit bias that you need to work on. Maybe you should only police white neighborhoods. Maybe that'll help. You bitch. Maybe that'll help. Because your bias bigger than ass to scared of black people. Now you're so scared that you're killing them. You're killing American citizens. It's not that the definition isn't clear. It's not being applied the same way to law enforcement. Even the military has stricter rules of engagement. I got homies that got the rules of engagement that been to, like, Afghanistan and Iraq and those different places. They got, yo, you cannot fire on that enemy until X, Y, and Z. They're in a war zone and have better rules of engagement for enemy combatants. Justin McFarlane, who's a veteran, agrees. For example, the Tamir Rice video uh, that, that came out after his shooting, you know, when we talk about rules of engagement and, and escalation and de-escalation within the military, you know, you're given warnings, you, you do certain things before, you know, you actually pull the trigger. Whereas in that situation, you know, the police officers kind of rolled right up and, and almost immediately started firing. You know, one of the things uh, I often hear in terms of why police may be quick to shoot in a situation, it, the, the reason is they felt like they were threatened. They felt like their lives were at risk. They were scared, basically. Um, you know, but how different is that really from, you know, when you're on the front lines in Iraq or Afghanistan, where every local person could potentially be, you know, a threat? We've seen a lot of incidents where there was not a lot of time to make a decision what the amount of risk is. Um, and in these incidents, for some reason, the victim, when they're African-American or, or someone with brown skin, they seem to always catch the bullet. High-profile shooters who are white tend to get caught unless they you know, are shooting themselves, um, whereas you know, innocent uh, uh, black men are, are dying you know, on a near-daily basis. Justin thinks there need to be stricter punishments for police who use illegal deadly force. Otherwise, we're going to keep seeing more people of color killed by police. Well, I think the punishment needs to match the crime. Um, I mean, just like any other crime, a, a police officer that commits a crime is, is, is still a criminal, just like anyone else who commits a crime. Over the last several episodes, we've looked at African Americans' complex history with the Second Amendment. Over the history of the United States, the definition of who gets to enjoy the rights spelled out in the Constitution has slowly expanded. But the framers' original focus on white, land-owning men as the beneficiaries of those rights continues to hinder equal access to the Second Amendment for women and people of color. And unequal access to gun rights clearly makes some of us less safe. But let's say you do have a gun. Regardless of who you are, white, black, man, or woman, 
Now that you're armed, does it make you safer? Do more guns mean less crime? We'll talk about it in our next episode. Today's episode of In Sickness and in Health was produced by Zach Dyer and me. Our theme music is by Alan Best. Additional music by The Blue Dot Sessions. You can learn more about this podcast and how to engage with us on social media at insicknessandinhealthpodcast.com. That's insicknessandinhealthpodcast.com. If you like what you hear, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps more people find out about the show. I'm Dr. Celine Gounder. This is In Sickness and in Health.